Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Um, the Sheikh wanted me to remind people about fundraising. Um, and I apologize because I haven't figured out the best way to do the adopt a surah. But I, uh, inshallah, I, I promise I will do that soon. But I can say that um, we have been actively um, trying to get bookcases, like purchasing them, building them, found someone local to help us put some together. So if you want to support that effort, you can definitely um, adopt a bookcase for $200 because the cost of the bookcase is about a hundred and you know some about 150 160 then um the cost of the guy coming to put it together it adds up to uh, close to 200 so um and then we'll hope to be able to get a plaque with your name or something you like can, that so you can explain to them why we have to hire someone to build it because you know like we're we're so low on manpower Okay, yes, that is true. <laughs> so, yeah, Rami wanted to remind me, I mean, because the reason why we're, we we need to hire someone to come and build bookcases is because we are low on manpower. And so, I mean, when you're talking about, you know, 100 bookcases at a time and each bookcase takes about half an hour to put together if you know how to do it, um, it's, it's a lot. And so, and we can't put the books up on the bookshelves and have a, it become a working library. Um, and organize things, um, which is its own task, um, until bookcases are actually built and set up and everything like that. So it's a it's a very long process, honestly. So it's a very complicated process. And actually, we should probably tell more of the story because it is actually very interesting. Um, but it takes a lot of work and um, a lot of um, expertise as well. So it's a it's a fascinating project. And and just to say, you know, this is the probably the world's largest private collection of Islamic law sources, among other things. We have a huge, what we call, humanist library. So it's its own university. We have every single um, subject matter from, you know, history to philosophy to ethics to um, comparative religion um, to literature. And, I mean, there's just so much. Um, so you, like, people, you know, could come and study what's in this library as its own um you know, as its own source of knowledge. I mean, it's, I, I know that Le Sheikh was telling me that sometimes people, now there's a whole field that involves studying the, the library of scholars and also, um, you know, uh, what went into, I mean, the, all the different pathways of knowledge that you can take in this library. So it's really fascinating and, and it's something that we definitely want to share in the future more about. And, and so. Does it count as a Sadaqa Jariya? Does it count as a Sadaqa Jariya? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So. Yeah, so please do donate for that reason. Um, okay, so um, who would like to start off? Come on, Rami. Hello. Um, so first, thank you so much, of course, for another incredible surah. I mean, there were so many takeaways from this. and I, I have two questions, but I'll just start with this first one. So obviously, one of the key takeaways from this surah was that virtuous leadership comes over political opportunism and today especially in the united states we see that there's it's kind of become trendy for young muslims especially to start navigating in the space of political activism or even just politics in dc for example um so we see now there's many organizations that advocate for muslims in congressional offices as interns and then just leading their way up to be public servants but obviously there are many, I guess, shortcomings that come with this. And there are a lot of principles that have to be sacrificed. So I think my question 
and I apologize, this might be a little difficult, but I guess, what would you say directly to a lot of these young Muslims? Because, I mean, being one, uh, I, I personally was one who was interested in this field um, at first, and I know a lot of young Muslims my age that are still interested in this field of even becoming uh, public officials or whatever. What would you say to them directly? Would you say that, for example, if you want to go about this road, you have to be very clear and say that there will be sacrifices that you ha will have to make. And, of course, that might jeopardize their chances because why would anyone running for office, you know, go out front and run on that platform? Or would you just say it's not ethical, you have to find another... You, you should focus on, for example, this type of work and then possibly give away to the bills and whatnot that they could contribute to if really it's necessary that a muslim makes those bills because you know those could come anyway so or is there a third um way as well so just interested to hear your perspective on this because i think especially for young muslims today that could be really helpful Great question. do you want to paraphrase yeah i mean the the question is about uh political activism and um and the the challenge of uh, the challenge of morality. Um, um, you know, the, of course, it's it's a it's a it's a complicated thing. Um, so on the one hand, on the one hand. Um, Political empowerment for a very small minority in the West is an absolute necessity because Muslims are a very small minority. And because they are a very small minority, um, they, they are also um, disempowered. Um, maybe even disproportionately disempowered to their numbers. Um, and the disempowerment has very concrete results. It, it, it results, among other things, in uh, the absence of Muslim issues on political agendas um, and uh, results in uh, the continuation of systematic uh, methods of oppression for Muslims, uh, oppression which is a, 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 um, a, a product of disempowerment. I mean, if, if you're disempowered, even if as an individual you are not oppressed because you are able, you're capable of realizing your potential, but collectively, you are oppressed because you're disempowered, meaning that your needs and your priorities and your interests are not getting represented on the table. And they're being largely overlooked. And, um, uh, and the problem with, with this form of disempowerment is that it has a very concrete result in very high attrition rates among Muslims uh, in that a lot of our children, as they grow up, they're not Muslim anymore. Mm -hmm. 
and they're not Muslim anymore because they're a product of social processes and the social processes that they are a product of, uh, it's not cool to be a Muslim. Um, it is not trendy to be a Muslim. It is not socially accepted to be a Muslim. Um, uh, th these are the concrete results of disempowerment. It, it is not um, within the fabric of reasonable pluralism to be a Muslim. So, you know, pluralism uh, posits a paradigm for reasonability, what's reasonable. Uh, but when you are really disempowered, pluralism leaves you out of the paradigm of reasonability. So being a Muslim, in effect, is not reasonable. Or the only reasonable Muslim is really someone who's not a Muslim at all. Uh, they, they may be reasonable by, by descent, I mean, Muslim by descent, but, but that's pretty much it. So, so that's all on the one hand. On the, on the other hand, of course, is that if you have Muslims become, Muslim activism becomes a form of identity politics, meaning that you are politically active as a Muslim by identity, but you are completely devoid of moral content because you're really uh, you're not even sure in, in in how a muslim is different from anyone else uh but you're you're just um you're muslim by identity and so you you play identity politics and you see this a lot i mean you see this with a lot of islamic organizations um what they're all about is like a form of identity politics in which ethnicity and and Islamicity and all types of things are lumped together and it's not very clear who what's what and so on. That, of course, is a problem in itself because um, then um, uh, uh, Islam as a, as a religion, as a message, as a morality, as a system of ethics... Uh, falls apart and and if Muslims become empowered they often uh, lack any moral outlook or moral anything I mean I the, the where you where I saw that in in a very alarming way is when I found Muslim organizations that have somehow cozied up to power institutions uh, that took a very bizarre position on Black Lives Matter, for instance, or that took a very bizarre position on even the Muslim ban, uh, with some Muslims defending the Muslim ban as, um, as somehow acceptable or, or, or adhering to the mystification of power. Well, you know, we should just obey whoever in power and not criticize them. And which is complete, basically moral bankruptcy. I mean, it's basically saying we, we have no moral critique to offer, nothing to say. So you have that, that these two very serious things, and, and they're both very real, and they're both... Uh, and I, I don't know, I hate to sound dogmatic, but... 
I don't see a way out but education. I really, I mean, when I look at um, some of the Christian right that has been involved in politics, I mean, what strikes me is that the way these kids are weaned on the importance of Jesus to the world starts at a very early age. It continues on to their college choices. It continues on to their internships that they get in D.C. Um, it's like they're, they're even, what was the name of that documentary we saw about? Uh, the family. The, the family. Uh, about, you know, how the world needs Jesus and how you enter in politics carrying the, the Jesus banner. But I also know that a lot of people who are active in the Jewish community, um, they are, what, what guides them is a very strong educational infrastructure that drills in them Jewish values and um, the Jewish tradition and Jewish mythology and Jewish systems of belief and um, till it becomes second nature. I mean, some of them are not even religious, but they're, they're, they know what Jewish values are. Um, and what I think Muslims really miss is, maybe because I'm an educator, but the, the educational infrastructure that Muslims have is extremely poor because most of our educators are not professional educators, not really educated themselves. So most of our educators are actually uneducated. Um, and uneducated professionally and uneducated Islamically. So you have the double whammy. Uh, most of them are, are, are just basically people who are average people who just, uh, um, most of our imams either still live in the medieval world, their, their, their epistemology is very medieval, they have know nothing about the morality of the modern world, or live in the Middle East or uh, Pakistan or India and uh, which is again a, a very serious problem. So I, I mean, I I really think I um you know I I know I want Muslims to be involved in politics absolutely. I want Muslims to um, be the best lawyers. A lot of lawyers go into politics, or a lot of politicians are ex-lawyers or whatever. Uh, I I want more Muslims to be law professors and to be judges and to be... I, I want Muslims to understand that they have to open up pathways. But I also think that these Muslims need strong educational institutions to back them up. Um, when, when ethical issues come up, they need to have sophisticated sophisticated learned people that they can consult with and they can speak with and get sophisticated advice not dogmatic not uh, you know the, the type of advice that we get from um, 
you know, our typical uncles and figures in, in the Muslim community these days. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. Um, my question is uh, in part about um, the Arabic in the first ten or so verses. Um, it's kind of strange when you're reading it because um, in the first five verses there's the usage of who, right? It's, it says like or it says um, right, so it's referring to him and then there's a sharp change to فأنت له right, so it's so on, onto him um, and uh, so it uh, unlike reflecting on this you know, for some time I wondered if if there was more to this narrative of uh, I, I would I would very easily accept that the prophet does indeed speak to the blind man in the future and say thank you f f thank this individual for being the one who set me right in terms of the main principle uh, that we take from this being the principle being that you focus on uh, the individual who wants to be guided rather and, and not on the results of getting someone who is you know up in the hierarchy um, and I wanted to get your perspective on what do you think about this this individual being sent by God essentially to the situation um, to teach not only the Prophet but also the Quraysh because it feels that the, the chiding of the Prophet doesn't begin until verse 6 and that rather the chiding is more directed towards two archetypes or one archetype that has two choices um, one choice you know what I'm, I'm so I'm in verse 3 when it's saying what could inform thee but um, you know what could inform thee could it be the blind man that is informing thee because that the reaction, that the feeling that I get is that this this poor blind man who is likely unclean, and you know, uh, by standards of the Qurayshi elite, is coming and mixing in with these rich people who are concerned about their robes and don't touch me and don't get too near. It feels like that would be the immediate reaction of someone who was high up, rather than the immediate reaction of someone who in alaq. Surah Al-Alaq, you know, God is saying you are of the greatest character. Um, so yeah, I'm just wondering as to could it the the change in in who versus anta could that be suggestive of the chiding really coming in in regards to this bigger um, idea of focus on those who want to be guided. And, and don't focus on the results of the quick results of getting those who are higher up um, and that perhaps rather the one who is doing the most teaching here uh, is the blind man to the Qureshi elite uh, you know that there's there's two people that are really learning here but yeah 
the point about the grammar, it, it's not the it's not the who versus the anta. There there are commentators that said um, when it starts out, it speaks as to Abasa Utawala and Jaahul Ama Oma Yubrikala Allahu Yadzaka Yadzaka Ftanfa'u Zikra that the Dhamir uh, al-Mukhatab, who it's addressed to, is, is not specified. And uh, when it starts out, it, it is talking about as if it's saying someone received a blind man, and that someone um, uh, frowned and that someone turned away um, and then it then it starts speaking to the prophet directly and there are some who said that the reason it uses the style is because it, it's a it's a, a more gentle way and a more considered in, in Arabic usage, a more polite way of chiding so the or of correcting the prophet. Um, in in Arabic, if you want to correct someone and do it very very politely, you you say, uh, for instance, someone lost their temper. You don't say you lost your temper. Um, uh, and if the context is understood that it's you who lost your temper, but that's a polite way of doing it. Uh, and it's also the friendly way of doing it. So that's school number one that said that basically the, the, the reason the Quran does that is that it it, it uses that style with the Prophet um, in saying, you know, uh, someone turned away, someone frowned, and then starts talking to the Prophet, so it's understood that it is talking to the Prophet. The others said, closer to what the point that you're, you're making, is that um, it, the reason it adopts that style is that, in fact, it was the lesson was directed more at the Qureshi, and that's more, um, uh, you, you find those, especially who are very, um, who defend the idea of, of infallibility of prophets, uh, Prophet Muhammad, but also the prophets generally, um, that, that, in fact, that it was, not really speaking to the prophet, but speaking to the Qurayshis themselves, the elite. Um, the second school, I don't, I mean, I don't follow because um, uh, the, the, it, it, for me, the, the, the grammar just doesn't, wouldn't make sense um, because once it starts addressing the prophet specifically, 
بتصير وما عليك الا يتذكى او تتذكر فترفع الذكرى او سبيشال سيز فانت له تصدى فانت عنه تلهى اتس سبيكينج تو ذا بروفيت دايركتلي اند سبيكينج ان تيرمز اوف سو يو اكوموديت ذيم سو يو تيرن اواي فروم ذيم سو ات It, which convinces me that it's it's the, that these first point of view that it's it's addressing the prophet gently. The other thing is that it is not um, it's not a sin. What the what the prophet alleged to have done it's not a sin, and it would be what most ethical people would do um, is to say. Uh, excuse me, but I'm busy right now. Can you wait for a second? I mean, so what? Um, but but the point, there is a point, an important point that you're making, though, is that I don't believe that anything that happens in the Prophet's life is not engineered by God. So... I believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the blind man at the time that Allah sent the blind man in the, under the circumstances and that the point was not to teach the Prophet anything uh, but the point is to teach us and that there are many situations like this I mean and inshallah we'll talk about them like with the Prophet's adopted son Uh, when we get to that that point, um, inshallah, there 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 are just many situations where I believe that it is clear that Allah engineered the circumstance. If Allah wanted to teach the Prophet something, Allah would have just taught the Prophet something publicly, uh, privately. Um, but when Allah speaks to the Prophet. Allah is speaking to us and we are the intended people from the moral lesson and there are when when the the prophet quite humbly i mean it's a typical of his humility and the 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 beauty of his personality that he when he tells um uh, ibn um maktum Hello, hello, welcome, welcome to the man who uh, Allah chided me for, or the, the man who, the, the, who uh, was the instrument for Allah to chide me. I think he's actually, like, it's a way of, of making um, Ibn Umm Maktoum feel important, and a way, uh, a way of also communicating a moral lesson. Look, I am the prophet, and I'm not embarrassed. And I am not argumentative, and I'm not arrogant about it. And in fact, I will, in front of you, appear grateful because I value the lesson. I, I believe all of this is for us. It's, we are the intended audience. It's not... Um, uh, um, and the Prophet ﷺ, in so many situations, I mean, when I keep emphasizing follow the sunnah of the Prophet. I think when the Prophet والسلام, uh, as was his practice when a, you know he would be 
walking in the streets of Medina and a woman would come and grab his arm and take him to resolve a dispute between him, her and her husband. I think this was not just an off thing. The Prophet was teaching us a sunnah. It's like saying, you want to be leaders, you want to walk this path, this is the way you have to be. Um, so, I, you know, I fall maybe in the middle of the road in the sense that I, I believe all of this was orchestrated to, to convey that moral lesson early on. And I think that point about uh, virtue over political opportunism is something that was underscored so many times in, um, in the Quranic revelation um, but we are the intended audience. I, you know, I, I think that uh, Allahu Alam, what would, what, what revelation the Prophet received that was intended to him personally, we, that he didn't share with us. But if it was shared, especially if it made it to the text of the Quran, then we are in the intended target, not the prophet. Uh, what is the zikr for this chapter? It's the uh, entire surah. Entire surah, okay. Thank you, Shaykh. Uh, I think it's more just a, it's a comment on your on your response to Shayan, um, that even though it is all authored by God and God sent that human being, um, you know, we often just our idea of revelation is that you know it just descends from on high and we just receive it. But in this episode, and I'm also thinking maybe the start of Mujadila, revelation looks like something far more dialectic. Mm-hmm. You know, in a sense, yes, God sent it, but a human being is still kind of triggering or provoking a revelation, a response from God, mm-hmm. and. Is it uh, Ibn Umm Maktoum is kind of, I don't want to veer into kind of like shirk or heresy, but in a kind of like, he's almost shaping revelation, or they're still playing, it's it's not just top down, but, it, but bottom up, top down. Like an authorship yeah. role almost. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. no less active in the shaping and making um, of revelation. In, in, um, in reasoning with God, um, yeah. I, I speak about, the reports or occasions for revelations uh, are unreliable and these reports when, when occasions for revelations are unreliable it's not material to the text of the revelation but there are situations where clearly the, 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 the dialectic itself is part of the moral lesson mm-hmm. that we, we are supposed to study what happened and the 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 way that the that the revelation engages the community itself is part of the moral lesson and um and in reasoning with god um uh if those of you who don't know reasoning with god is a book i wrote um it, it, i I spend a lot of time talking about this because I think it's it's very critical that we understand that dialectic and appreciate 
the way that Allah is teaching us about the um, the process of morality, not just the conclusion of morality, uh, because because if if you know moral principles, if you don't if you don't often receiving moral principles as if they're uh, mathematical equations, uh, in black and white, it just doesn't work. You have to learn how to think morally. And that's exactly what the Quran often does. It teaches us how to think morally. So, um, my question is on the verses of 24 to 32, which was the one where you provided the Sufi interpretation, mm -hmm. and specifically um, when discussing the aspect of water from a spiritual understanding, there is this water that softens hearts and makes them less draconian, was your interpretation of the Sufi um, uh, saying in Arabic, and that this, um, sorry, I should have compiled it a little better. But basically that this is water is knowledge that brings a dead heart to life. Yeah. I just wanted to know more specifically, is there a more tangible understanding of how this water is accessed? How one who might no. be experiencing this can better understand and apply this to their own life? Yeah, no, they, there's a... Uh, well, I mean, uh, yeah, they, they talk about exactly what type of ulum uh, al-ma' the, uh, uh, the... The epistemology or the system of knowledge that is um, uh, like the water for a soul, um, and you know, if you are, um, if you study, or if like even if you read like a book like Kitab al Mizan by Sharani, you know, he talks about this a great length, but. Um, to um, give you a, a sense for our purposes, um, uh, the all all parts of knowledge that teach you humility and control of your egoism is part of what tenderizes the heart. So, for instance, give you just a very concrete example. Uh, in When you, if you are, uh, going through the path you you're taught a lot of metaphorical narratives about animals stories about uh, the fox and the lion and the I don't know usually animal figures and you are supposed to go and ponder these stories at great lengths 
uh, a lot of these narratives are not about um, empirical knowledge. It's about wisdom. And when you, if you ask your 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 sheikh, you know, why do I have to sit and, and ponder what the point of the story was the fox or the turtle and uh, whatever? And, and it says, you know, so to, so that your soul will come to life. Um, that that was the uh, um, the. Um, Learning um, um, uh, there they uh, um, say that another you know memorizing a lot of the poetry of al farid or Raba or the um, poetry of Hallaj, all of that tenderizes the heart. So, I mean, Sufi poetry uh, is another typical example. Um, so, yeah, no, the, 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 there's a lot about that, but it, it generally it's the, the you know, it, the there are people who have great memories. They, the reason they excel in in school is because they have great memories, but they don't necessarily have a great amount of comprehension. Well, these are the people who would have the hardest time with this type of knowledge. It, it's not the memory. It's that to to understand the wisdom behind a metaphor. Um, and to and and they say that the key to that type of knowledge is great patience that the more impatient you are the more incapable of of uh, having this knowledge penetrate your soul uh, the more you want fast answers and like you know uh, tell me what the curriculum is. I actually had uh, uh, I, I, one of the teachers that I um, used to, uh, I, I studied with for a while was, um, uh, he would exclude any student that asked them what the curriculum was, kick them out. So if you ask them what the curriculum was, you would say you can't attend my halakha anymore. Uh, and because you would say that then you, you, you have, you're insolent and impatient. Um, it, which was interesting. I mean, I, I wish I could do that to my students. <laughs> but I don't think the law school would let me get away with it. But, yeah. <laughs> Insolent and impatient, so he would, he would kick people out if they asked that. Of course, it eventually got around, so we'd, we'd actually tell people, don't ever ask him what the curriculum is. But it, <laughs> there, there would still be students who would still defy and say, no, I'm going to ask. What are you talking about? Of course I'm going to ask him. Yeah. And so part of that, too, is um, because you asked me that, this question about 
prayer, service, empathy. These are all obviously paths to that water. Also. No, but no. The, the, I, mean, I took the, the the question as yeah. what is included in, in in what they describe as the the type of knowledge that is needed for the, the so no but prayer service and empathy is what's needed to tenderize the heart not necessarily the water knowledge but that's that's also if you have an answer to that that's also the second part. yeah that's the second, second part question. of the question okay. if you wouldn't mind sharing yeah knowledge i mean service and prayer and and but it's yeah, anyway, but yes, what? Did you want to, that, that was the other part of the question is like, what's the role, because you have the water and then you have the other part, the, the prayer service and empathy. Is there anything else to do to like further develop? You know, if you're asking what, what do you need to do to develop that, dhikr uh, and service. You know, the more you serve, the more you get out of your own big head. Um, and, and, and all service, I mean, smiling at people is a service. Um, you know, doing anything to help anyone is a service. Um, you know, just go, go if you want to train yourself, just go to the supermarket and just offer help. Uh, you know, offer help to anyone you see. Um, uh, you will see the effect it will have on you. you you'll see that when you pray, um, you'll feel Allah in a way you, you've never felt. Uh, if you... The more, I'll even be, be more, even more concrete. Um, a lot of people have it like a dark cloud hanging over them. Do you know that the, that the fastest way to remove the dark cloud is like, and they'll pray and they'll, you know, sit and pray and pray sunnah and read Quran and the cloud doesn't even budge. So we told them, okay, go dedicate yourself serving your mother and just help your mother in the kitchen, clean the kitchen from bottom top, go clean the bathrooms. Go help your siblings. Go to the supermarket, carry groceries to whoever. And in no time when they do that, the clouds start dissipating. It's like literally, the darkness starts dissipating. And their prayer becomes far more effective. And their fasting becomes more effective. And when they do dhikr, it becomes far more effective. So, it, it, subhanAllah, it's like the Prophet said that if, if, if you wish for good, then do good. And Allah has created this, these laws in, in the cosmos um, that are like the, the, the laws of causation in physics. Um, these spiritual laws are as solid and constant as the laws of causation and physics. 
you want the darkness to start dissipating. Uh, you want your your relationship with Allah to start improving. Serve. And you know, and serve the the people that you normally would not like to serve. So if you've never liked to help your mother, go help your mother. If you always had a, a sibling that you've always thought is an idiot and stupid and you don't ever want to do anything for them, that's the person you should serve. If you've always had a neighbor that you thought is a jerk and go offer them help, uh, serve. That is the great educator and that's the path of Islam. Okay, so we, we have just a few more minutes left, so I wanted to go back. Put on these people, ask, get, well, get some of their questions. Yeah, I know. You, well, one of them is from last time because you asked for us to remind you about the question from Zomar about sleep. So can we do that one? What's the question? Okay, so I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to read it from here. Um, Okay, regarding sleep as a state of suspended death, um, could you elaborate more about sleep in relation to premonition or dream interpretation as practiced in some Muslim culture and rare spiritual phenomenon, for example, dreams about loved ones who have passed away, how to know if it's godly and not from demonic spirits, um, the story of Sufi masters that experienced rare spiritual phenomena and reports about the state of, uh, of Prophet Muhammad when he received revelation. Um, also, if you could comment about um, about it in light of recent study about sleep cycles, brain or sleep, yeah, sleep cycles, brain wave frequency, etc. Remember this from last time. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a but it's a it's a rather big question. So I'll I'll just I, because it's such a big question, then I'll I'll uh, touch upon tidbits because um, it's a really big question. But uh, the um, um, there is the, in, in reflecting upon sleep will will, will if, if you reflect on on the, the dynamics of sleep the way you lose consciousness the way you regain consciousness um, it's actually one of the things that you do to um, elevate your spirituality and to under to to understand a lot about death. There is a lot of wisdom in 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 reflecting upon sleep. When we are asleep, we are we we are in a vulnerable state. Most of the times that the the dreams we have are the the vast majority of times is the product of our own. Uh, subconscious and anxieties and worries and concerns um, there are dreams that are demonic and there are that come from the demonic and there are dreams that come from the divine um, it is hard to to set any fast and hard rules but if you know a sheikh that you trust, my best advice is that if you, it, it, demonic dreams are, are very heavy and they stay with you and you remember them. 
and so are divine dreams. Um, my best advice is to, um, but there are a lot of so-called sheikhs that are also pretenders. So be very cautious. Just because someone calls themselves a sheikh or leads prayer, it doesn't necessarily mean that they that they know what they're talking about. So just be very cautious. Um, the part that I uh, often I get the question is: Can messages come from if the if there is a message from a dead relative? It is with Allah's permission. And it's usually for a very specific purpose. And it's usually, uh, it, so it is, yes, it is possible that the someone who had passed away with Allah's permission would come to deliver a message. But it don't assume that that's the case. Um, so there, you know, again, I, in the absence of, giving a long lecture about what to look for and so on, um, th th you need someone who knows what they're talking about. You need to be able to consult with someone and not just to jump to conclusions. Um, there are people who, anyway, um, even even a lot of people that you know say they dreamt of the Prophet um, if if you see a truly life altering beauty that is just a truly luminous not human features, but just luminous, uh, so that you wake up feeling, I've never seen anything like this before, and you are literally um, extremely happy, and feel like you are on cloud nine, and you wish that you, would, you could have stayed in the, this moment forever, then the likelihood is that you've seen the Prophet. Uh, if you see human features and you wake up, you're not so sure, did I see the Prophet, did I not see the Prophet, then probably you haven't seen the Prophet. Uh, because a lot of, I get a lot of people saying, you know, I've had this dream, did I see the Prophet? Uh, the Prophet doesn't appear in human features uh, in dreams. And when the prophet does appear a visit in in a dream it's it's um it's an indescribable feeling you you just you are so positive you are so certain and you're so intoxicated by what you've seen uh it's unmistakable it's not like oh did i see it or, um, you know was it really the prophet it's it's not like that I know that I, I didn't do the question justice, but it's it's so huge that, uh, you know, I would have to give a whole... I mean, in the um, absence of having like a, a fuller lecture and because it's so difficult for um, people to determine, you know, someone who they can trust and not, um, isn't it better just to, unless you have that, ignore all else? 
Yes, it's it's better to always assume that it is. It, if you if you have no other choice, then it's better to always assume that is a product of your naughty subconscious, uh, because your subconscious is very complex and it is often uh, a big troublemaker, and it will often. Um, picks little bits and pieces of memory and throws them at you when you're asleep. Um, so when in doubt, just think that if, if it's something, if you've had an experience uh, with a dream that has left a, a big impact on you, that you can't get it out of your mind, then you can, you can write me about it. But, um, you know, I'm not talking about just like a dream that sort of bothered you somewhat. It's, it's a dream that usually you just can't get it out of your mind. Okay, but if you do write, don't expect an answer quickly. Because yeah, everyone always... It, it takes so me... Much. Yeah, it takes me a long time to respond because <laughs> I get a lot of correspondence. Yeah. I get a lot of people writing, and a lot of times I just can't catch up. I can't keep up. It, uh, you know, if I if I, I ha if I had the secretarial, uh, uh, um, I mean, if you answered everything that you that you, yeah. every inquiry, you would do nothing else, and you still would not answer everything. Yeah, I, I, so just, I would just need the secretariat. I just like need a bunch of employees. <laughs> <laughs> But better because also you said you're in a vulnerable state better to just more. We just need more. Yeah. 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 Um, sorry about that. Hopefully, maybe in the future we can start doing Q and A's again, maybe after this project or something. So well, thank or, you. Or you could limit the the, the number of questions that people are, have here can ask. Okay, so we will try and figure out something else. Okay, so thank you so much, everybody, for another wonderful session, and inshallah we will okay. see you Saturday. <laughs> okay. Salam alaikum.